women's running. running, running. Hi, I'm Danny Moreno, and I'm a professional mountain runner for Adidas Terex. Yes, Danny Moreno is a professional mountain runner, and she is one of the best in the world. Her specialty is the sub-ultra distance, which are distances shorter than a marathon. Traditional marathon is 26.2 miles or 42.2 kilometers. But keep in mind here that we're talking about running over mountains with steep technical terrain. So these races are very, very different from a road marathon. And this year, for the very first time, Danny is going to experience what that is like because she is debuting her road marathon at Boston. She will be joining us in April and we are so excited that she's coming to town. But before we get into Danny's story, let me welcome you to Women's Running Stories. I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am your host and producer. And behind me is music created by Cormac O'Regan. He does all the original music and scores every single episode. And for this episode, yeah, we're getting into Danny Moreno's story. Running has been a big part of Danny's life and growth and development in many ways since she was a young person. And she talks about it all through youth running, high school, university, up until today. A couple things to know before we dive in. Danny currently lives in Mammoth, California, which is up at altitude. She used to live in Santa Barbara, California. She is an alumni of UC Santa Barbara, as am I. And another person who she does mention who also attended UC Santa Barbara is Stephanie Rothstein, who many of you may know better as Steph Bruce these days. She is indeed one of the best runners in the United States and has been for some time. You'll also hear Danny mention D1 and D2. And as a little reminder, those are divisions of competition in the U.S. college system. D1 is the highest level of competition. D2 is the next level and so on. Real quick up here, I'll also give you a short update from me. I am happily training for the Boston Marathon. I'm getting in all the miles and the speed work and the weight training and the yoga and all the rest of it. It's going well. I'm staying healthy and happy and motivated. And I am really looking forward to running Boston this year. Not the least of which is because we do have a spectacular field of women coming into town. So let's get into Danny's story. Like I mentioned, running has been an integral part of her life and development since she was young. And this includes the time when Danny didn't run at all, which is where we're going to start Danny's story at a pivotal moment just after she'd graduated from college. Here's Danny. It was just uh, a really eye-opening time in my life, I guess that's to say. And running was the farthest thing from it. I just like wanted nothing to do with it. Like even if there was an option to run, I would like hike (laughs) or walk because yeah. And I remember like putting my watches away and like letting them run out like out of juice and stuff and just not recharging them. I know at that time it was just very invigorating. It felt like something like a huge weight had lifted off of my shoulders 
because I felt like I could reinvent myself, to be honest, like without running. Uh, and so I just started to fill my life with other activities that would stimulate me in what I thought would be somewhat of a, a similar way. And like, I would definitely say at first they did. And most of them were adrenaline seeking activities, um, like canyoneering and climbing, like canyoneering, like in the slot canyons of Utah and climbing in all different places and, and spear fishing. Like I got really into spear fishing and I bought a motorcycle and like, <laughs> I, it on it was like rebellious and like just yeah it was just like a life changing couple of years and I was also working as like an outdoor guide and, and doing that and I just felt like I was doing all these things that like I was told I wasn't allowed to do so yeah it was just really cool to to do that and to experience like different lifestyles too that were just so different from mine like I had been so to the book like get good grades, work a job, pay my own college, get my scholarship, try and get more scholarship money, try and, you know, do well as like a teammate on the team and like just constantly felt like I was checking all these boxes. And then here I was, you know, with people who lived out of their van or on BLM land who like didn't answer to anybody. Yeah, it was, it honestly was just like invigorating to feel like I wasn't following the plan and checking the boxes. But at the same time, I will tell you like within, I always say like one to two years, but it's probably closer to that year mark that like, I realized that that's just me and like coming to terms with like that. I, I needed to be okay. That that was just, that was me. That had always been me. Like even as a child observing, like I was constantly checking those boxes. I was always the one like, listening and consuming information so then I can apply it to myself so that I can be better and so while this like brief hiatus from from that core self was fun uh I just realized that it felt <laughs> it felt chaotic to me and I am not a chaotic person So as a child, I was really quite shy. I was also quite small for a good majority of my grade school years. I actually didn't really have a growth spurt until almost out of high school and then another big one in college. So, you know, slow to progress in that way. But, you know, always was outside wanting to play with my friends and my siblings. But yeah, we uh, with being outside a lot, uh, I innately I ran, uh, but with that we also all played soccer. It was our family sport that we did together. It's what we did on the weekends. And I just really enjoyed it. You know, not just from like the friends aspect, but I always like was a pretty heady kid. And so, you know, watching the game develop and be able to contribute to plays, etc., was always really fun to me. But my first discovery of running you know being a sport on its own really came from these like jogathons that we would do I think that's pretty common for kids in grade school where you would all sign up to support a fundraiser and your parents friends or your mom's friends whoever's friends would donate like a dollar for every lap you ran or something like that and so I always just found myself always having the most laps and kind of by a lot and my strategy was just to not stop. I would just keep going because in my head, 
the more laps I got, the more money I was fundraising. And I thought that was really cool. But it was enough to where like parents would, you know, comment to me like, wow, you were out there running 50 laps. My kid only ran 10 laps. <laughs> and so that was kind of like an interesting, I guess, something that I noticed. And then uh, we also had our track team already starting in elementary school, which was pretty cool that they did start it at that age. And I always wanted to be on the track team, but I never quite made it. Like I was never fast enough, but I would be out there running all these laps. So it was kind of this confusing puzzle for me. Like how could I do one thing and not the other? Uh, obviously I know the answer to that now. And then uh, going into middle school is where, you know, I finally had a chance to show off my skill set, which, you know, I then realized that my skill set was that I just could hold a pace. You know, I just was, I was a really, like, I was, like, scary quiet as a kid. And I think because of that, I became observant at a very young age, like, really observant. And I would say it's to this day that's, like, something that I feel is a big identifier in what triggers a lot of my character development is like me observing the world. And so, yeah, as a kid, you know, I was often wanting to, I would go to my friend's house, but like first and foremost, I wanted to like sit down with the, the parents and, you know, talk with them. And then once I felt tired of that, then I would go play with my friends. And so <laughs> I just felt like, I don't know. I, I just was about consuming and learning. And I didn't even really have to like say much as long as other people were talking. And so I think in regards to running, I just observed parents coming up to me and being like, wow, you're really good at this. And, you know, something else to note is like, I, uh, I grew up in Downey, California. It's uh, kind of south and inland of like main central LA, but it is technically part of LA County. Uh, and it, the demographics of the community I came from, it was not a running community at all. It was like lower middle class to lower income families. You know, it was very rare that both parents didn't work. And, uh, you know, that time for exercise was very seldom and usually on the weekends when everyone would go to the soccer fields. And so you then you would see everyone's families and your friends and their parents and stuff like that. But outside of that, like, I wouldn't say you were like driving down, a, down the street and seeing like runners all the time. And so for me, even as a child, for people to be telling me that like I was good at running, I didn't really know like what to look at, but I knew that it was interesting that people noticed that. And so in um, in middle school, one of my PE coaches, her daughter had gotten a scholarship to Pepperdine University for running. And so she's the one that reached out to then my parents at the time saying like, hey, you should try and find her like a youth club or something in the area somewhere in LA because like she does have some talent. And so that was really nice too, getting that like validation from you know, a teacher or, or someone in that position and me being like, and her daughter did it. So like, she knows what she's talking about <laughs> sort of thing. And so, yeah, my parents did find me a youth club in LA. And again, it was a sprinters club. And so it was like me and one other kid that would do like the 1500 and the 3000. And then from that club, I got like recruited to another club, which that one was based in Orange County. And that was quite a long drive, but my parents were so 
supportive of me that like they're willing to drive me there for practices and stuff on the weekends. I'm really lucky in that my parents have always been really supportive. And so what was cool too from being on that youth club is it was just so different from anything I'd ever experienced demographically and socioeconomically up to that point in my life. And in that community, it was in Tustin, like that was a running community. And like I'd be driving there and you'd see people running outside and stuff like that. And to me, I was like, whoa, these are my people, you know, not like actually, but I was just like, these are people that like to do what I like to do. Like this, this is a thing. And so that like only inspired me more uh, before transitioning into high school. And I would say high school is like really when I started to come out of my shell. So high school, essentially I like came in as a freshman and I think, you know, partly due to perhaps some natural talent, but also having that experience with the youth clubs kind of came out swinging to where, you know, within like my first couple of cross country races, I was already receiving letters from colleges uh, like UCLA and um, just all kind of like the big schools uh, for running. I had already kind of captured their attention. And so to me, I just thought that was the normal. Like I, I knew that not the other runners on my team were getting letters, but I don't know. It just, it didn't seem like that much of a big deal. And then going into my sophomore year, I started going through puberty had a little bit of growth spurt because again I was I was quite small for up until that point and then you know probably gained close to 20 25 pounds like a lot of women do and you're growing at the same time and I just like I slowed down uh usually I think it was like I don't know 90 seconds to two minutes average so like on my three mile you know as a freshman I was running 1730 which you know captured the attention of colleges and stuff and so when I was going through puberty it was like closer to like 19 minutes sometimes even like 20 minutes which like those are still really good times but in the big scheme of things isn't like insane but in that moment you know as a a developing woman you're just it feels like the end of the world and I just started getting bullied by actually like I had a pretty big team I probably had close to like 100 girls on my team which was pretty common because my school had close to 4,000. So it was one of the biggest uh, sports. But yeah, I just started getting bullied saying that, you know, I was never going to be fast again or I was never going to do what I was doing before. And like this is the end of my running. And uh, that was really tough for me because I they were girls that I like had originally looked up to. And luckily, like my mom was able to really like help me through a lot of that telling me not to listen to them. Uh, But my parents were also equally sensitive to me and like what I wanted to do. And, you know, they asked me a couple times because I would like come home in tears being like, I'm never going to be good again. And asking me if I wanted to quit the sport and, you know, just go back to just doing soccer. And, you know, at at first a couple times I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to quit. But like, let me try it again. Let me try it again. 
but eventually I just became <laughs> more and more resilient to it and actually like started to see some progress by the end of the year. It was very little, but like enough for me. And I just kept leaning into it. So the junior year, I saw a little bit more progress. And what helped is actually those girls graduated. So the team started to like shift in its chemistry and stuff. And aside from my parents, like I was really lucky. My high school coach, he just, I don't know why he got it, but he did. And it helped a lot of us. And he would always promote that we were going to get through it and that we were just getting stronger. Like he never, ever talked to us about our bodies and what we were eating and stuff like that, which I'm really grateful that that was my high school experience because I ended up having slightly different college experience. But yeah, he was great and always supportive. And if anything, he was always worried about us like not eating enough food. And so sometimes he would like bring snacks to practice, which he like definitely didn't need to do that. Uh, so yeah, I, I was really lucky in that, in that regard. And then, you know, my senior year, I came back stronger than ever, even beating my freshman self and, you know, ended the year with a lot of interest from college. So yeah, it was kind of interesting at the same time. Cause like I was also bullied in middle school for running fast and I just remember, <laughs> you know, people call me like steroid girl or that I'm cheating or, you know, cutting corners, which to me, I didn't know what steroids were, <laughs> but I just knew they were bad. And I had like such a strong morale that it, it would really upset me. Like it's something so stupid, but it, as a middle schooler, it just like really upset me. So then, you know, fast forward to my junior year as I'm like working through what I'd been bullied about. And then going into my senior year, to me, I'm like, you know what? People are going <laughs> to have something to say whether I'm the best runner here or the worst runner here. Um, so I think, you know, coming out of that, uh, I just felt strong mentally and that I was excited about the sport. Kind of in that transition of being bullied, going through puberty, and then going through junior to senior year, I really came out of my shell. I wasn't shy anymore. I was able to like be up in front of classes and stuff and like really not care so much. Became I was starting to sing uh, as part of our vocal ensemble. I was in a play and like just really starting to put myself out there. And I really think that I gained a lot of confidence for what at that time felt like one of my biggest life trials was getting through puberty. And it was like at that time that it's like, no, running is mine. Like running is this thing that other people contribute to, but it also like helps me become like a more independent person. And so then I felt like <laughs> that momentum perpetuated itself then when I felt like I stood up for myself and like chose the college that I wanted again just coming from the area that I did there was less than 10 of us from my high school being offered the chance to compete for a sport in a college and then that narrowed down to like maybe four of us that could potentially go D1 
and so it was very much you know out of 4,000 kids that's not a lot and so I felt like I had a lot of voices in my ears at that time from my like honors teachers my college career counselor my coach my parents you know I had a friend on my team where she was getting recruited but you know for some D2 schools and so I was potentially like thinking of that as well and then myself so it was really hard to try and navigate that time and end up choosing what I wanted to choose because I'm like such a community connected person that I'm like I should I should choose where everyone wants me to go because then you know it's they helped me like I wouldn't be here without them like I was very aware of that but then I realized like but they're not the ones going to school like I'm the one going to school I'm the one like living this day to day and then there's also just like the economic factor of should I just go to the school or pick a school that's offering me a full ride or should I go to a school that I you know maybe want to be at more so inevitably I like weighed the pros and cons and (laughs) I actually had committed to Sacramento State because they were the economically best choice for me at that time and uh, verbally committed and they had sent over the papers to sign and I remember like sitting in this room <laughs> with my college career counselor and I just started crying because I knew that I actually didn't want to go there. Like I liked the team and the coach, but I just like in my gut, I just knew that's not the place I wanted to be and that I wanted to be at UC Santa Barbara, even though it'd be like more money out of pocket for myself. And I'll never forget this. I looked at the paper. I'm crying. I like pull myself together and I hadn't told anything to the UC San Barbara coach yet. And I call him up and I'm like, hey, I want to go there. And, you know, can you send over the papers today? <laughs> and I just remember signing the paper. I I mean, to be honest, I was scared shitless in the moment. But it also was very invigorating for sure. And, like, I mean, I can picture that day like it was yesterday because of everything just the magnitude of what I felt like I was doing in that moment and I had not talked to my parents about this like the initial intent or whatever and (laughs) it was just a very dramatic day in my family we'll just say that Um, but eventually things fizzled out and you know I did the official um, pursuit of there so yeah it, it was actually quite a dramatic, dramatic experience, not traumatic. And um, like I said, like, you know, things fizzled out, but it did create kind of this interesting dynamic between my parents and I then, you know, until I left for college. And it was just like this sense of, you know, becoming more and more of like an independent person who was ready to leave and like discover more of themselves and you know like most parents you like want that to happen but you also don't want your child to grow up so I think that was like a good moment for just like my family as a whole in general because you know I ended up leaving and I have uh, never moved back home like that that was that time in my life um, and I I felt it which was cool running should be simple just put on your shoes and go And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. 
On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. So yeah, so freshman year, I did have like a little bit of pressure on me because like, you know, I was the top recruit coming in and maybe if I played my cards right, I'd be, you know, contributing to the cross country team and the track team that year, etc. But I also came in with like an injury from high school. Like I had like this knee tracking problem, which had just shown up when I started doing like my summer training. And so I came in like kind of on the sidelines, which to me, I had never been injured in high school. And so, yeah, it it was an interesting experience where like I'd have these meetings with the coach and he'd like write stuff on this whiteboard and be like, all right, this year we're going to do this, this year, this year, this year, just like a very linear progression. And he just kept really hyping up that like I was quote-unquote one of the best recruits if not the best recruit to ever come to the school and so while that was exciting it like it just put a lot of pressure on me that you know the anticipation was that by the time I left the school I should have every school record that being said like I never said like please stop put, stop pushing this pressure on me like I, I did like it because I'm like that's why I'm here like I'm here to become the best runner I can be and like I'm here to break these records and like help UC Santa Barbara do this this and this I really liked the team at that time like I believed in the philosophy like they hadn't gotten any of the best runners you know from like any state or, an, or in the U.S. But they all just like had worked really hard. And when I was coming into the program, it was just after the generation of Stephanie Rostein. She had just graduated and that team had gotten like seventh in the US and was the only California school like within that top 10, top 15 for cross country. And so I was just really attracted to that. And the coach at the time had just shared a lot of stories of you know, girls who were overlooked by other colleges or didn't have the fastest PRs but are now All-Americans. And I just found myself really attracted to, like, that underdog, you know, storytelling. So, yeah, so I was kind of injured. And then whenever I'd get healthy, I would get injured again because, like, just not really any sense of how to hold myself back. Like, I just thought you're supposed to do everything hard all the time. And unfortunately, also my freshman year, 
because I was dealing with that injury, I got told that I wasn't like doing my part to look the part of a runner. And so I started not feeling myself correctly, which now obviously looking back is something I wish I could have changed. I learned a lot from it, but it's like, that is the complete opposite of what you should be telling an injured person. Like an injured person almost need as as much, if not more fuel (laughs) than someone who's not injured. So yeah, that was really hard. And honestly, what saved me was like the girls on my team, like some of which are, you know, now going to be my bridesmaids this year. And it was like this, a couple of them, but one in particular, she just was very good at calling people out in the right way. And so like we were leaving practice one day and she just straight up told me like, you don't look good. Like you need to figure this out. Like, and maybe that would have been too harsh for some people, but for me, it was like just right. And almost within like a couple of weeks, I like started taking the steps to like fuel myself correctly. I started seeing like a sports psych on campus and stuff like that. So very tough lesson because, yeah, that definitely caused a lot of injuries then going into my sophomore year. But then junior year, I started to like gain some more momentum, was able to stay healthy, had one of my best years there and seasons and stuff. And then I found myself kind of like drifting back into that freshman path and then kind of like was just the pendulum kept swinging extremes in both ways to the point where I just felt like I was just battling my mental psyche more than anything and then eventually came out of it again but was injured then for my fifth year and that was kind of just like the icing on the cake I was like I'm over this I'm never gonna like quite figure this out I'm either doing one extreme one way or the other extreme another way I can't find this middle ground and I just like resented that I was there next year and I was just over it and so I just like I just went through the steps just did what I needed to do to get by and graduated and like that was it I was like I'm not gonna run ever again I think something that eventually allowed me to move past that era in my running career and then now be where I am today is I just wanted results so quickly. Like, I was not invested in the process. You feel like you don't have enough time because that's also kind of what's preached to you is like, you need to be there next season. You need to be there in 10 weeks at conference finals, etc., etc., etc. Like, to me, you know, I would just finish things quickly, move on to the next thing. Uh, I wasn't really in it for, like, the long haul, um, nor did I have, like, a full understanding of how that worked in athletics. And so I think that's why my pendulum swung so aggressively in either direction is because it was, like, the quick thing, the quick thing, the quick thing. It was always, like, a Band-Aid approach because... I felt like I didn't have a lot of time in my running career being that like if I don't become an all-american I won't be a pro and like I just stopped running like I, I just had no concept of 
that you didn't have to be an all-American to go professional or that like you could keep running on your own dime it, it was just so weird like I even look back then I was like how come I didn't know more of this stuff and like maybe it just wasn't talked about but it's just uh yeah it was like a void in my my thought process of of how what could happen after running in college I think for me too like post-college I think having that space or I have no doubt that like having that space without running to like really figure that out and like navigate my headspace and like how my brain works only solidifies that like I needed that time before coming back to the sport because I was able to like do it on its own without having my athletic performances like tied to it. So yeah, I graduated and I think that my time working as an outdoor guide did a really good job of healing me and being in this like kind of outdoor space but I was just around a lot of really strong women like ocean kayakers and climbers and canyoneers and like and they just all were so strong and their bodies could just like take a beating and I just really started to see the beauty in that and like beyond that like they all just were so happy (laughs) um which really stood out to me you know thinking back to my college years like my team was happy for sure um but you would see kind of nuances here and there and not just with our team like the other athletic teams too and like people just really trying and struggling to find that balance of uh just fueling and like nourishing your body in that way and that that that's great for you um so yeah it was (laughs) as I'm like chowing down pots full of food as a guide and my ability to you know carry two kayaks on my own without anyone's help or my ability to like throw a kayak on top of a huge van and just like I could feel my body getting strong it just it just clicked so fast in my head that like that's what I needed um yeah I just needed to eat more food but again like I just felt like I had (laughs) not a lot of guidance around that I've really been fine ever since which has been great um and been able to have really good race experiences when I eat to my like eat as much as I think and more so a couple things were happening during that time I was still like on this rebellious kick but it was kind of just like I started at first I was like I'm not going to run and then I started to go through like this denial phase where like maybe I still liked running but like I would say out loud like I didn't want to run there's no way like I'm still gonna do that and so that was this era of like I would like jump in a couple races here and there but like I would never train for them and then eventually um the realization that you could win stuff that's what it was that I could win stuff because I couldn't win stuff as a collegiate athlete. And so I started to realize that like, I didn't need to be a professional, but like I could still just like jump into a race and like win a couple hundred bucks. And like, I got to keep that money. And so I had done that for like a couple races here and there. And then, um, I'd gone up to San Francisco with some friends, jumped in a race. And then, you know, then I was sponsored by Hoka And again, like realizing that I could win money, it was just, it was such like a contrasted time in my life where I like, I both hate, like not hated running, but had somewhat of disdain for proper running. But it, you know, 
kind of somewhat inspired by these like vagabond types of lifestyles that I was constantly surrounded by and attracted to. If I could do that and like win here and there, pick up money, like maybe this is the perfect balance for me. And so <laughs> during this, you know, rambunctious you know, first year of trail running where I'm just like, I don't need to train. I can just like show up to the start line. Like I got away with it here and here and here and here. And then eventually I didn't. And to be honest, like, (laughs) I think I just realized that my college fitness had run out because I did had built up a good base over college. And, um, I was just kind of like running off of that. And, you know, I got beat once and then, um, or I got beat really well, and I was like, huh, maybe, maybe I should try a little bit harder, and then I tried some more, and then I got beat again quite a bit, and I was like, all right, maybe, maybe I should have some organization, because now I was starting to care, like, now it started to bother me that I knew that I was coming up to the start line with, like, one to two runs under my belt or something like that like it was starting to bother me that I knew I wasn't showing up as my best self and like I need that order in my life I need to have goals I need to have milestones and like I need to see progress against my progress chart and like that makes me happy and that makes me feel fulfilled whether it's running or something else so that's um when I started to kind of look for a coach and you know eventually landed with the coach that I now have six years later. Yeah, I just started caring more. Um, What was nice is I also felt like my personal relationships were elevated when I started to care more. I kind of, while it was fun to be rambunctious and rebellious and kind of away from my my core self I also kind of felt disconnected from those that were closest to me during that year or so um so I started to care more and one of the biggest reasons for that is my coach like he he never put any pressure on me but he was just kind of this very selfless human who was willing to wake up at 6 a.m to come meet me and train me and you know just doing it out of the goodness of his heart uh I'd actually like ran with his wife a couple times before I even met him and like realized the connection there um and so Terry Howe just like became this rock in my life that I didn't know that I needed um but now I just cannot live my life without him being there in some capacity Terry also uh, immediately reminded me of my high school coach when I started to work with him because like I would do like these sessions with him and you know we'd finish up he's like all right like hope you're going home and like eating like a bunch of food and I'd be like yeah okay cool like not it like really I'm like why does he keep saying that and then, then it would start to click I'm like oh and what also helps is he also actually works in the health food industry and so he just like started sending me all these articles on protein synthesis and like etc etc and in a way of like you need to be eating this much food like I know you think you need to eat this much but you actually need this much um so yeah essentially to him he talks to me as if I'm still not at my peak and like I still have a decade of running and like 
So like for him, like I don't need to be there yesterday. Like we are there when, when I get there naturally and at a good pace. Um, so again, just going back to him being unselfish from those first few days and weeks and months we worked together. Cause I wouldn't have blamed him if he was like, Oh, this like fresh out of college girl is wanting to run. Like, let's just pile on the work and like, see if she can crank out, you know, some good marathon times or whatever. But he just was never that way. He was just really conservative with me when he first started coaching with me, even though I was just, I was so confused why he was. And now looking back, I'm just so thankful that he was. But in college, I was running 80, 90, 100 miles a week, which is probably a large part of why I was injured all the time looking back retrospectively, but in the moment, I thought that's that's just what everyone does. So when Terry started coaching me, I mean, I was running like 50 miles a week, which, you know, is, is still good good mileage, but it, it was um, so, I was just like, you're only having me run 50 miles a week. What the heck? Like, I should be running more. And he just like was really good about holding me back. And so, you know, 50 to 60 and then 70s and like, even my mileage now is like still in that kind of like 80s range, but I just have been able to stay healthy all of these years. And so each year we've just kind of like gently, quietly built more and more on my foundation as a runner and just like the results and the resume and stuff like that. Um, just constantly turning over stones. Like it really wasn't even till like a couple years ago that I started doing like, you know, more intense weight training and stuff like that. But through it all, he just, like, really believed in me and, like, what I could do, but also never put pressure on me when, you know, things got hard at work or I had to adjust for one reason or the other. Um, and so I would say, like, this more recent, the more recent results probably have a lot to stem from uh, me choosing to commit more time, but, like, prioritize running and also just, like, moving to altitude and having access to terrain that is more mimicking of the type of running I like to do. And then my hunger as I've become more, it's, it's almost like the more time I give to the sport, the more I want to challenge myself. And one of the ways to challenge yourself as a mountain runner is to go over and race in Europe. And the hub of some of the most spectacular racing in Europe is Chamonix in France. It has very largely become this hub because of the series of events called UTMB, which take place each year at the end of the summer. And that's where Danny headed last year for the first time, which she's about to get into. To give you a little timeline here, she also mentions the Mont Blanc Marathon, which took place on June 26th, she followed that up with the Sierra Nizal race, which is a big race on the calendar as well. It takes place in Switzerland. It is a 31 kilometer or 19 mile event, which happened August 13th. And then the big show. She went and raced the OCC, which is part of that UTMB series. That race took place on August 25th, and it was the longest distance that Danny had ever raced at 55 kilometers or 34 miles. And it does indeed finish in the town of Chamonix. That was also true for the Mont Blanc Marathon, which went over some of the same terrain as OCC. 
and a lot of this scene was totally new to Danny. I mean, like I've heard of Shamani being kind of like this mecca, and um, to be honest, it just kind of like intimidated the heck out of me for years where I'm just like, that's where the really good people go. I don't belong there. But then, you know, as I started to gain confidence and stuff, now I'm like, oh, that's that's the only place I want to be now. I just want to be there and racing and uh, in, in that area. And so, you know, going into last year, OCC was going to be like my AA goal and seeing if we could get to Chamonix before that. And so Mont Blanc Marathon was obvious choice. Um, and so what was nice is like, you know, I had a good amount of confidence going in and I was pretty, I was just ready to go. I was excited. Yeah, just was ready to race aggressively. So I got out there, was kind of in the lead pack. About almost at the halfway point, kind of lost the lead pack, which was like a tactical error that I don't plan on making again. Um, but I was just so hungry. And, and going back to, you know, the more time I've put in, the more hungry I've been to race bigger races like that's even what I've learned to channel for my my racing itself in that the more training that I've put in like I just feel like I want to represent that and just more so for myself to like feel like I'm closing a chapter on that training cycle um so I started working my way back up and just really dug into not just that training cycle but the years and years leading up to that and I came here because I'm ready and I know I can compete um, and eventually you know went back and forth with third place all the way to nearly the finish line for that would have been like the last 10k of the race we were just constantly back and forth and I have so much respect for her um, and I, I know she is of me because we just literally brought everything we could out of each other uh, to get to that point so that was yeah it was very satisfying and then I, I got to share the podium with two of my best friends in the series which it's one of those surreal moments when um, you know there's crowds of people and you're up there with your friends just like hitting each other with champagne and being like how how is this my life like this is really cool like Mont Blanc Marathon it's a zoo I would say is very similar to maybe like the Chicago or New York City Marathon. Like they, they it really is quite big and in the trail mountain trail run, running space I would consider it like a major. But UTMB is just like it's like that but like for ten days straight <laughs> and there's just so many more people, like seas and seas of people. And what's even wilder that I didn't know until this year is that people hike the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc Trail because the route of UTMB is a world famous trail. I mean, that's how, how it began. And so people will hike that and time it with race week to where they're either coming into town, uh, finishing it right before the entire week or where they're hiking during the week. So like they get to watch the races um, so that's just like a whole different component where like we already have fans on the course, but then you like tenfold it with international hikers. Um, so it's just really cool. And the fact that it like goes through, you know, it incorporates three different countries is even wilder to me. So there's literally people cheering <laughs> over the space of three different countries during this race week. And it's huge. And it's also the unbespoken world championships for 
the 50k 100k and 100 mile distance everyone shows up most i would say 98 percent of athletes in our sport are incentivized this by their brands if they are professionals and it's a huge bucket list so yeah uh, i'm so glad i did mont blanc first though so that i felt like it, it like a little warm-up to the experience because everyone just kept saying like go out to mont blanc and see how that feels so that when you come to ultra or utmb week like it's not a shock to the system because it's it's not only the races, but depending on your sponsor, which I was with Hoka at that time, we had stuff all week, like signings and runs and like meet and greets and stuff like that. And so you have to like mentally be ready for that and also be ready to like recover from that as well. Uh, so it's very uh, pleasantly uh, busy <laughs> an entire week. But yeah, that being my longest race, I was just honestly really excited to challenge my body in a different way. It was much different from Mont Blanc in that, like, I came into Mont Blanc in what I thought was a really, really good space, like, physiologically, physically, mentally, emotionally. Work had been very steady, which is really nice for me when work is steady, whereas OCC was just, like, the complete opposite where, you know, work had been very stressful and and I had lost someone really close to me just a few weeks before Sears Now. Went and raced Sears Now, like, literally a couple days after the funeral. That went as well as one would assume, like, a, a smart person, not like me, who thought I could pull it off. And so that was really just really hard where, you know, emotionally I was drained. And then physically I wasn't able to perform largely due to the emotional aspect. So I came into OCC just, like pretty weathered but just so grateful at the same time because I did have time between Sears and OCC where I felt like I was able to refill my cup my partner Mike came out which was so helpful some of my friends from the same town that I live in who also happened to be racing were there so it felt like very at home and surrounded by love um, and so I really felt that I was able to utilize the tools that I did have uh, for that race day. Yeah, it just, I had a plan with my coach and I stuck to it. And I, you know, as the race is happening, and I felt better and better as the race was going on and feeling like you're like the fact that you trust your gut is working is like validating during the race and only gave me more confidence and where it got to get really surreal is I'd gone from like 20th to 4th in like the middle section of the race and I just was passing people feeling like they were standing still and you know obviously I have empathy for that because I have also been in that situation where someone passed me and it feels like I'm standing still um to be on the other end of this in this race was quite nice and so yeah I moved into fourth and then I finally caught the glimpse of one girl um Allie Mack who is a phenomenal racer and I'm sure will come back with a very big vengeance this year and so I passed her kind of going up the last hill and just got extremely hyper-focused. And I was like, 
you know, very aware that I am now on the podium based on what I'm hearing from people, but I just need to keep going because you just passed Ally Mack and like Ally Mack is very tenacious. Like she could come back at any time as a racer. She's extraordinary, but not only her, like there's three other girls that I know based off of people talking to me, like we're also moving up through up the field. And so I just felt like I had a huge target on my back because when you move into podium at those races, it's like, that is a big goal for a lot of people, including myself. And I just wanted to protect that with as much as I could. And so that whole, you know, I crested the last hill, which is Loft Legere, which all the races go through. And it's just such a iconic spot. Um, and I also did it for Montblanc Marathon and then started on the downhill, which felt like forever. And I just remember multiple people with GoPros you know, all realizing I'm third place and, you know, telling me to go faster and I just could not go faster. Like I was, I was so excited and I was in so much pain and I just had this extreme tunnel vision that in my head, like if I went faster, I would definitely fall and just like cramp up on the side of the trail and like become, you know, 20th place again (laughs) was my fear. Um, And so I just kind of carried, sustained in that place of hurt through the rest of the race until I cross the finish line. Danny finished third at OCC. Like she mentioned, this is the equivalent of the world championships for this distance. And Danny was on the podium. She had also gotten third at that Mont Blanc marathon, firmly establishing her position as one of the best in her sport. And coming off of that high, she's now looking forward to that whole new challenge, which is going to take place on the roads of Boston on April 17th. Yes, uh, so Boston Marathon, that is kind of years in the making. Um, I've told my coach multiple times throughout the years that I would eventually do a road marathon. And we got close a couple of times, but uh, I then would you know kind of waver and end up choosing a trail race instead um but yeah he kind of held me to it and got me in a corner this time which is really funny because I told him if I did Boston then I really can't talk myself out of it and he said challenge accepted uh so you know he (laughs) reached out to the elite coordinator with like my PRs and stuff and I got in so yep I'm doing it this time um I'm really excited and you know, a lot of people have asked me, like, why did you choose Boston as your debut? <laughs> and I think it's just kind of intuitive to my personality. Uh, to me, Boston is kind of like a puzzle that I know not everyone gets their first time, if at all. And it just it, it intrigues me. And I like how there's, you know, various parts of the course that are, are very different. And you have your downhill and you have your heartbreak hill and then you have more hills here, but then you have like a nice 5k here. So to me, it kind of like is a touch of reading a mountain racing profile. Uh, Obviously, running minutes faster per mile will be probably the biggest challenge. Um, But yeah, overall, I'm really excited about it. It'll be a new experience that I'm excited to to try and figure out. And my my parents are coming out and my fiance, so it'll be a a family affair.
Well, again, we are so excited to welcome Danny to Boston. Thank you so much, Danny, for sharing your entire running story. I was so captivated by Danny's story because she's had so many experiences and she's so thoughtful about how she's progressed through the sport. I'm just very appreciative of her time and for her sharing her experiences. And now I know you're going to want to follow Danny. You can keep up with her on social media. She is on Instagram at Dan underscore yell underscore a. And she's on Twitter at Danny Runs Trails. That's D A N I. She also has her own website. It is Danny hyphen Moreno. Again, D A N I hyphen Moreno.com. You'll find links to all of that in the show notes. And I'm also going to link to a video that you can find on Danny's website. It is all about the Mont Blanc Marathon, and it gives you a sense of how incredibly popular these races are over in Europe. It's really quite a scene. And that's going to do it for us for this episode. But before I go, of course, thank you for listening. We love telling these stories, but the power of them is in you listening and in you sharing. I would really appreciate if you share this episode or the entire podcast with someone who you think would like these stories too. And I welcome you to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. I will have links to all of that in the show notes. And know that I do not make this show by myself. Like I mentioned up top, Cormac O'Regan does all the original music and he scores every episode. He does that from his studio in Cork, Ireland. April Mariner of Bonfire Collaborative does all of the graphics for the show, the logo, the Instagram posts, the website, all of it. And you can find April at bonfirecollaborative.com. I am Cherie Louise Turner, your host and producer. And as I usually do, I am coming to you from my home closet studio in Somerville, Massachusetts. Thank you again for being here. And until next time, I wish you healthy, joyful strides forward. Women's running, running. Running stories. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview changemakers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you.